the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 496 for Sunday, April 6th, 2014. Greetings, folks, and welcome. To the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Up, the show where you send in your questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We share your questions. We try to answer your questions. We share your tips and your cool stuff found. And together, we all try to learn at least a little something new about the Mac, Apple, and other technological... That's a word. It sure is now. It's easy for you to say. <laughs> Advancements. That's right. This show is uh, sponsored by Smile at smilesoftware.com and also by iFixit at iFixit.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG that gets you 10 bucks off a purchase of $50 or more. We will talk about them. We will talk about Smile later on in the show. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, back in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And yes, here, back. Oh, thank goodness. No. <laughs> in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. And, and here with a sore back in Durham, New Hampshire, is uh, Pilot Pete. Thanks for having oh, me, guys. No. Too much flying, Pete? Uh, well, too much riding in the cockpit on the jump seat back from Macro. Oh, that's oh, right. I took the red eye on the jump. I'll tell you what, a coach seat would have been comfortable. I was jammed up in a tiny cockpit with three other guys in a in an Airbus 319, the baby bus. Long, painful night. And and being that you were in the jump seat, a cocktail was not an option for you. Not even close. That's no. right. No. Yeah. Ah, that's so. too bad. Well, I'm glad you made it out finally that to Macworld Expo. Absolute ball! Thanks for having me and helping me get out there. And yeah, and, uh, that was neat. Um, yeah. If you, anybody listening that hasn't gone, if you ever have the opportunity, well worth it. Um, it's not an it's not an iPhone case show. <laughs> it, you know, which was it had that bad rep for a while. But it's I it. absolutely loved uh, meeting all the people that do this podcasting that that are tech experts and and the the whole community. Everybody's friendly. It's true. It yeah you know yeah it just it, I didn't meet it didn't meet a snob, a tech snob in the bunch so to speak yeah it's all everybody's kind of open arms yeah yeah it's nice yeah yeah it's yeah. pretty good it's good kumbaya. it is kind of kumbaya ish <laughs> yeah no in in I, well I, if you I travel so. in the right circles I would say but the problem is there the the circles span far and wide as far as uh, yeah, you know, I don't people I don't, that we normally hang out with but you know also new people I met yeah you know, everybody's. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I don't know that there's any bad. I haven't encountered any bad circles there. Oh, uh, there there's has to be one somewhere. <laughs> I'm not sure we that just I don't know about them. I, I, well, John's kind of a tech snob, but you know. Oh, that's right. Oh, John's circles. That's yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. No, but uh, I guess my only reflection, and the Dave, you you have some reflections too. My only reflection is that it seemed there wasn't quite as much activity. Not to it, say that nothing was happening, but I, I just got the sense, uh, but I'll spit it out, that the attendance was lower than in the past. Huh. Yeah, I haven't day, seen I numbers. The other day, Thursday, it seemed that it was kind of empty. And then Friday it was busier, which kind of surprised me because I would think Thursday and Friday would be the, the least busy because it's during the week. And then Saturday would have been the big day. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of got that feeling and other people kind of echoed that. On the other hand, I talked to some vendors and they were like, dude, we, we've gotten so much traffic. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I mentioned uh, several times, but uh, that the vendors that, that, that it, it would probably be tough for vendors to justify their uh, their time and their booth and all of that at uh, on the expo floor in terms of 
you know, a direct ROI. Right. But um, and, and I and I've said and I still maintain this, that the vendors at, at that show I look at them at least at, at some level as the sponsors of that show. And without them, that conference couldn't happen at that level. Because listen, you're getting in to a conference for like, what is it? A hundred bucks for a, a conference pass. That should be a $1,200 conference pass. Sure. Is what that should be. I mean, for the space and for, you know, all the people that organize it and all that stuff, but it's not, it's, you know, so it's heavily subsidized by the expo floor. Uh, however, and that's how I felt going in it. And to a degree, I feel that way coming out of it. Uh, certainly that's true that they subsidize it. it but uh, in terms of the vendors getting something out of it, I talked to a lot of vendors who sort of opened my eyes and they said, yeah, you know, we get to talk directly to our customers. And, and so looking at it from a vendor standpoint as a, a, a market research tool this now becomes a very valuable thing because you get the the diehards that are coming and want to talk to you about your product. So I was really happy to hear that from a lot of vendors. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, you know what? I hadn't even thought of that. But no, I walked I hadn't up either. to the one password booth and I said, guys, I have a feature request. Told them what it was and they went, it's in the works. It'll be out. I'm like, wow, beautiful. Yeah. So, you know, you can find that. So it's good on both sides. But yeah, that's right. awesome. You know? yeah. And I guess the other thing, they're competing for the best of show, which gets them a lot of publicity. It does. And gets them in the magazine and... Yep. Increases sales. So. Yep. No, it's right. Yeah. So there, there are these benefits that uh, that I'd sort of overlooked uh, coming into the show. So I wanted to make sure I, I said something about it. The the other thing that uh, John, uh, you experienced for the first time, and I experienced for the first time as uh, a business traveler was um, we used some some uh, alternative uh, uh, travel services. Uh, I'll say the first one was one that we mentioned going in. Uh, John, you and I stared, stayed in, uh, in a guy's apartment. We used Airbnb. Now the guy wasn't there. We, he, he was gone. We, we rented the whole apartment from him. It was a two bedroom place. Uh, we had two bathrooms, which is awesome. We had a great living room, a great kitchen within walking distance to everything. Uh, and we actually rented three, two bedroom apartments. Uh, one that, um, John and, and Jeff, uh, from backbeat media had, and then the and one that Brian and Jeff, uh, you know, here at, at the Mac observer had, and uh, I really liked it, John. You know, I've done Airbnb with the family. I've done it once on my own where I just rented a guy's apartment last year for South by Southwest. Um, but it was quite pleasant. Even if you and I were doing different things at night or heading back to the place at different times, it was really nice coming back there. And, you know, we're in town for a, when I was there for six nights, I guess, seven, six nights. And there's always that when you stay in a hotel, there's always that um, that lonely hotel room blues that you kind of get after. I always get after a little while. And I just didn't experience that this time because, frankly, you were there. Right. You know, we got back. And even if we were both exhausted and we didn't stay up for hours, there was, you know, 10 minutes while we were whatever, you know, getting a snack and, and you know, just sort of decompressing for the day that we could just chit chat. And I, I really liked it. In fact, the very last night that, you know, you took off after dinner because you had your flight. Um, and I, I had the place to myself again, as I did the very first night before you came in and it was like, oh, it's too bad. John's not here. You know? So I liked that. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but, uh, maybe, maybe I pestered the heck out of you. I don't know, but I liked it. It was good. And oh, it's nice to have a living room to hang, to hang out. out. And, but Dave, you know what I, I saw like one morning, I actually saw that there were, you know, additional people you, you could make friends with, like the guy sleeping on the sidewalk across from 
Yeah. Apartment. Well, I mean, it's in Soma, right? <laughs> so, it, you know, that that's yeah. th- there's sort of that vibe to to Soma, uh, south of Mar- the south of market area in uh, in San Francisco, where where, yeah, it's just I mean, there's there's a lot of homeless people around. But the, the weather there is so good that through the winter that it, it attracts homeless people. That's just how it works. Yeah. So this guy wasn't mad that you let homeless people stay the last three days after you left? No, no. no. Uh, Up until now, he didn't even know. Yeah, well. (laughs) And I may actually stay there for WWDC. I've been in touch with the guy uh, since then. Yeah. So I have a question about that. Perfect, because, yeah, we were, I think it was on, what, 6th Street, or a little past 6th Street, and all the stuff you need to get to is, like, on 4th Street. Yeah. Yeah, we're great. You know, it was, you know, 15, 20-minute walk at most. At most, right. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, that's good to try to get some of that in every day. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't used this service, so it's, but it's not like a trade. You don't have to offer your place. You can go on no. and rent somebody else's. No, you yeah. go on. Yeah. What yeah. you do is is um, you go online. These people list their places through Airbnb. It costs them for Airbnb. It costs the host nothing. So I go in and let's say the guy said he would, which I think he did. Uh, you know, he'd rent us the place for two hundred bucks a night. I could be wrong on that number. But I think that's about what we paid, uh, which is great, right? Because we eat if, to Pays get our own mortgage for the month. Then. <laughs> well, that's it. Right. He gets way more than he should. And should is the wrong word. I'm fine paying it sure. because it's way less than we would have paid for, for a two single hotel, hotel room. But yeah. certainly less than well, yeah, two. Comparatively, in San maybe we paid two would say 200. 200 is what you're talking at least for a convenient a hotel room that's convenient to the Moscone. Yeah. All that. At least a lot of them were like 270 this year. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, pay, I think we paid two fifty. So we paid two fifty a night, but that was for the entire apartment, which in addition, as I said, to two bedrooms, two bathrooms, a living room also has a kitchen, which I really like, you know, being able to just get up in the morning and make your own breakfast without having to go out and, you know, do all that stuff. It's great. But, uh, but yeah, so if, if I paid, you know, if we paid him two fifty a night, which I think we did, uh, he gets every penny of that 250 minus whatever the credit card fee is. So 3% or something yeah. like that. He gets 97% of that. But on top of the 250 a night, we paid, I think it's about 130 bucks for the entire reservation. So one fee to Airbnb. And that's how Airbnb makes money. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's nice. They got to make money. They're absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And what they is- handle the transaction. I, you know, the credit card and all that stuff just goes through Airbnb and it works. Right. Oh, that's slick. So, yeah. Well, I got one other question then. Go. So you're near there, but it, like if it's raining or stuff, how do you get back and forth from the conference? Well, that's the other piece of travel uh, alternative we used. We made heavy use of Uber this year. And, and those of you that haven't been in cities um, or, or don't know about this, Uber is an alternative to using taxis. And what you do, it 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 was it initially started to to uh, take advantage of all these sort of empty or unused black cars that were always kind of waiting around. So you get an account with Uber, which is free, and if you get it the right way, in fact, I'll put a link in the the show notes that you can get a twenty dollar credit when you sign up for Uber, and it's again free. And that twenty dollar credit you can use on your first trip. Uh, when I signed up, I got a ten dollar credit, which I I used, but now that the, at the moment, anyway, they're offering twenties. So, um, so and you, you link your credit card with the, uh, with your Uber account or your PayPal or however you want to pay. And then, uh, you launch the Uber app and it, because you have an iPhone and it can geolocate, it knows where you are. And you say, I want a car and you pick whether you want a black car, 
uh, an SUV, which is a little more expensive or Uber X, which is actually a little less expensive. And it's not a black car. It's somebody driving their own Prius around or their own whatever. And for the most part, we used Uber X because it was cheaper and it was fine. And uh, and the, the drivers are rated by their passengers and the passengers are rated by their drivers. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yes. Be on your behavior. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. If you throw up in somebody's cab, you're going to get a bad a, yeah. a black mark. As you should. Oh, man. Right? That's yeah. already on my permanent record. That's right, Pete. But uh, but yeah. So, you know, you can see that you, you have what your guys rated. And so you say, I want to ride. And and they say, okay. And it takes maybe 30 seconds. And it comes in and says, okay, the driver has agreed. They're on their way. And they show you on the map uh, where the driver is. And then, and then the driver shows up. And you tell them where you want to go. Driver takes you where you want to go. Maybe a little chit chat. And when you get there, you say, thanks for the ride. Bye bye. And you walk out of the car, close the door behind you. Cause that's the, the polite thing to do. And you don't want to get rated poorly, but, uh, but that's it. Payment is handled. There's no tipping. There's no nothing. Payment is handled inside the app. Totally flawless. It's way better than dealing with a cab. So, quickly yes all right so i'll tell you what i did so two things so one i actually try so i installed the uber app yeah uh, and actually tried it here every now and then i'll get a quote Mo- more often than not if i ask for a vehicle say none available because you know, well because yeah because you're not really in a city right right but i'm near cities and the thing is every now and then like i tried last night and it said uh, i think i tried both a black car and an suv and it did it did Give me one, but it said they're going to be there in about 25 minutes, which okay. to me is they're probably in Stamford. They're sure. probably in one of the major cities. Yeah. And they just decided, okay, I'll, you know, advertise myself in a larger radius. Yeah. And yeah, if this guy in Fairfield wants me to get yeah. on the highway and pick him up, sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, the pricing, you know, was kind of up there. You know, I, right. I did like, you know, a quote for going from here to the end of the street and it was like 25 bucks. And it's like, eh, sure, you know, sure. Yeah. And they expand. And then what I did actually at a, at Backworld, I did, um, and to me, they're they're a standby. You know, they're a, a super shuttle, seventeen bucks, and they do. Now, the nice thing is that they do drop off at residential addresses, like the apartment. Sure, I wasn't sure of that. Sure. If they only did hotels, but they've, you know, I mean, yeah, but that's old school. Hey, so there's Uber. Oh, oh yeah, they are. You can pay online and all yeah, that yeah. stuff. Like I did that for the thing back. So yeah, I mean, the guy just showed up, and you know, I got a phone. I mean, they were still kind of high tech. So we're standing there on the sidewalk. You're waiting with me, and all of a sudden, my phone rings, and they're like, "Your driver's here." It's like, "Oh, that's good. Here he is." Push notifications. That's yeah, what you they get a need. picture of your driver and his license plate number and all with, that. So yeah, all with, with Uber, and you do. And, you know, yeah. it's it's cool. And so, so there's Uber, there's Lyft, L Y F T, and then there mm-hmm. is Sidecar. So there are three services. They they all kind of work in the same way, but they each have their own little niches. So yeah, Airbnb and Uber were were the the big wins for uh, for a lot of us this MacWorld. Yeah, I'll mention my my cab ride to the airport from downtown San Francisco was like thirty six dollars. On or Uber, not, not yeah, on Uber X, yeah, yeah, oh, and yeah. Uh, it was so it was much cheaper. Um, Way it was, cheaper. It was clean, fast, and the guy when I got in, I was riding JetBlue, coming back, and the guy goes, you know, I don't think that's in domestic terminal. I think they're in international. I go, no, no, it's only domestic. You know, you you don't understand. And he goes, Dah. and he made the phone call to a friend and said, let me make sure. So I mean, this guy's they're they're looking out for you. They're doing the best they mm-hmm. can. It was awesome to him to make that phone call, and sure enough, he was right. It, it JetBlue for whatever reason. It was out of the international oh, yeah. terminal at SFL. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. The only That's place awesome. they had space, I guess. But all right, yeah. John. So I want to uh, I, I want to jump into uh, something I learned this week. Uh, jump, brother. We I, I think it was you, but it might have been somebody else on Twitter was talking about uh, finding out the contents of a time machine backup and what's going on. And of course, we have some tools and all of that, but. 
a listener hipped uh, or a follower, which uh, I think is a listener, Harold hipped us to a command. I had no idea existed. If you go to the terminal, there is a command called TMUTIL, T-M-U-T-I-L, which is, uh, as you might guess, time machine utility. And if you type TMUTIL, you'll get a big, long list of commands. And if you type TMUTIL help and a command that you can get even more details. But uh, but he was saying to use TMUTIL compare and you can uh, you can compare two paths of your backup drive and it will tell you what's the what the difference is between those. So if you see your drive backing up, you know, 25 gigs of data and you're not sure what's going on, TMUTIL can uh, can help you out with that. So I had no idea that this existed. And I'm, I'm, my guess, of course, is that it's been there forever. Uh, and we just, we just, well, I we, just didn't we, know. We have actually mentioned it recently, Dave. So two things. So number one, I suggested that you should use something that I've used in the past. And I don't know if you did. And you found the source of this mystery. Did you? Well, I, I'm, I'm talking about TMUtil. Yes. But yeah. Where oh, you, I'm sorry, because it, your, your point was that a backup was taking way more space than you, uh, you expected. And, and now we will explain that. Sure. Yeah. So I was, I was talking on to the way we got here to TMUtil three levels up was I noticed one of my backups was uh, one of my machines was saying that it wanted to back up 75 gigs worth of data or something. And, uh, and that's when listener Harold chimed in and said, check out TMUtil, which was cool. I just, but I just wanted to quickly mention that TMUtil exists because it's just one of those things folks should know about. But if, if you have, Others that oh, I'm exist, sorry. John. My thread, my thread was. I'm. I'm sorry. Okay, back on track here. Yeah, Let's get back to doing this podcast. Yeah. thing. No, we recently touched on this because when we were talking about local backups, TMUtil was also the tool that we talked about that would let you uh, not only create a local backup but enable or disable these local snapshots that we were talking about in the That's past. That's right. That's right. We'll give you. Yeah. So TMUtil is the same utility, but yeah, actually, I learned something because yeah, as you said, there is a. Uh, <laughs> Quite a list of things it can do. I'll have yeah. to compare thing. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. So I, I love it when we find out about stuff like this or that, you know, in the last show, it was AF convert we talked about, but uh, yeah, good stuff. All right. Um, where are we time? You know what I want to do is I want to talk to you about our first sponsor for this show, which is smile uh, at smilesoftware.com. And uh, smile. If, if you don't know, it's because you're a new listener and that's okay. But, uh, but smile has been sponsoring this show for a very, very long time. Uh, I believe, in fact, I don't have to believe I know they were, they were our first sponsor here at, at Mac geek. Gab. But, uh, but this week, this month, I get to talk about PDF pen for iPad. Now PDF pen is an app that I've used on the Mac for years uh, and have been able to use on the iPad actually now for a couple of years as well. It's an awesome way of manipulating, editing, massaging, and managing PDFs. If you get a PDF in, um, you can sign, you can add your signature to it. Uh, you can add the date to it. You can highlight text. You can edit text. You can add little notes to it. Uh, it's an awesome way to, uh, to just manipulate this kind of stuff. I get contracts in all the time that I need to sign, and they come in via PDF. I used to have to print them and sign them and scan them PDF pen, either on my Mac or on the road. I do it from my iPad uh, or even my iPhone and it works great. The new version 1.7 of PDF pen for iPad is out now. Uh, it has been updated for all of the iOS seven goodness. 
that uh, that exists. And they in the process of doing that, they did a massive performance improvement. Uh, there were some some times when when the iPad version would get a little sluggish and they have wiped all that out now. Uh, it syncs via iCloud, Dropbox and Alfresco. So this way you can uh, you can run PDF pen on your Mac and share documents via iCloud again or Dropbox or Alfresco. Um, you can and, and, and that that sharing is just automatic. Uh, you can also retrieve and save PDFs, PDFs to Dropbox and also to Evernote, Box and Google Drive. So you've got all these places that you can read and write to. Of course, this is because Apple doesn't allow uh, direct file system access on, on iOS, which is frustrating when you're dealing with files like this. So they've just solved it. Any other of those services just works fine. And you can share PDFs with your desktop directly via Wi-Fi uh, or using iTunes or FTP. And it's even got web dev support. So uh, it, it, they, they have full support now for the uh, pressure sensitive pens, the Pogo connect, the Jaja or the Haha, how I forget how that's pronounced, and the Jot Touch. So, uh, so they're really going nuts actually over there, and 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 spending a lot of time with this app and and updating it. And I got to meet with some of the uh, the folks that are programming it, and it's it's awesome stuff what they're doing. So check it out, SmileSoftware.com, uh, PDF Pen for iPad. Of course, they also make Text Expander, which you, you just need to have, and uh, and PDF Pen for your Mac as well. So check it out, Smile Software. Dot com. All right, John, with that, let's uh, let's keep going on the tips trail here. And uh, I think jumping to James, this is a fascinating thing. So uh, James says, hi, John, Dave and Pete. Uh, you answered a question during your live show at Macworld for someone that wanted to see their photo collection everywhere on all their devices. The tool to do that is baked into the Apple ecosystem. I learned this through a Don McAllister screencast on the subject recently on Screencasts Online. It says, uh, today, shared photo streams inside, uh, you know, Apple's ecosystem allow a theoretical maximum of 500,000 pictures or videos. And he says, uh, and he says, no, John, that's not crazy talk. Well, it is crazy talk, but it's true, right? <laughs> He said the way it works is you get 5,000 pictures or videos per shared photo stream and you can have a hundred shared photo streams. What you do is you create a photo stream and then leave the two line blank, thus sharing them with only yourself. And you will, I know it's brilliant. Uh, and you will have them available across all of your devices through iCloud. And it, as opposed to just the thousand that you get through your, your normal photo stream, he says, oh yeah. And it doesn't count against your iCloud limit, at least not yet. Says I would <laughs> uh, they figure that out. Until they figure it out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he says, uh, I would have another service as well in case yeah. Apple pulls the plug, but this is pretty convenient and might be <sighs> enough for some, I know. Yeah. Yeah. You just share a photo stream with no one else. How stupid do you feel for not knowing that? Oh, I know. That's awesome. I Guys, love it. It's brilliant. Go John. It gets even better because I came across this because I was researching another question, mm -hmm. which you sent me, Dave. It's a photo-related question, but it's a bit deeper than this. Sure. But in the course of my discoveries here, I came across this as well. So I was running Aperture. Um, typically, when you sort your photos in Aperture, you sort them by projects. And the thing is, if you click on a project and you click Share within Aperture, you get a number of options. One is iCloud. And then if you click on that... It then has the next menu that comes up is stream. And it's like, which stream would you like to add this to? And the choices are new photo stream 
or an existing one, or I guess my photo stream is the default, you know, your, your catch all photo stream. Yeah. So as far as I can see, that's a, the, this is part of an answer to someone who asked the question, well, you know, how do I coordinate or sync my, my content here? I hadn't really looked at um, iCloud streams before, but yeah. Aperture and I would assume that iPhoto as well support them directly. So yeah, I mean, 500, that's, that's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, I'm assuming and, that through this interface, I can get up to 500 as with uh, any interface. Uh, 5,000, you mean? Or 5,000, yes. Yeah, 5,000 per stream. That's right. Yeah, per per shared stream. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, it's, it, you know, what, what's frustrating is that you have to find this jury rig thing. I, I, I still, I'm still really hesitant uh, on Apple and the cloud. I, I just, they, 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 they're doing better than they ever have. And yet I'm concerned about them doing, uh, doing enough. Yeah. I don't know. It's their their whole strategy with the cloud is just a little weird, you know. And I haven't used shared streams before. Just want to mention too, you can go back if you create it blank. You can go back and add people later. Of course. So yeah, sure. That's cool. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just hadn't touched with that because now when you go to iCloud, you don't your photo stream isn't there. And if you go to iCloud.com, it kind of isn't there. It's all in your iPhoto and on your devices and that sort of thing. So I hadn't messed with it too much. But that that's brilliant. That's uh, that it's makes brilliant. it so much easier. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. No, it's good stuff. So uh that's uh that's where we're at on that one. All right. You know, that's a good point, Pete. Yeah, that that that's always kind of bothered me. The whole if you go to because I was like, is it still that way? Yeah, or if you, you sign in iCloud, to which I'm doing right now and get into your photos. They were there. Yeah, I see mail, contacts, calendar, notes, reminders, uh find my iPhone, the uh iApps, and uh that's it. Yeah. It's kind of a Serious omission, in my opinion. <laughs> well, that's why it doesn't count against your five gig limit for your right. free account. Uh, somehow, yeah, you know, right, yeah. It's know. outside. It's out. It's out of that world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's I thought fun. you were limited to a thousand photos, and stuff started peeling off the front, especially if you don't forget to go back and get rid of your screen capture. Well, and, you are in your default photo stream, right? right. But now you're not. But it, yeah, but you have to manually put oh, the you stuff do create there. It there. Absolutely. Yeah, that, you know, but, I, I can do that. I know, but I, why, why well, not? Why I, not just let me? Yeah, if have, I'm willing to pay for it, have especially all my photos here. Done. Just, just I want it when I take a picture. Done. Now you can do that. Google Plus and Dropbox, uh, the apps, the iOS apps will sync your photos if you tell them to. If you right. don't, then they won't. But uh, they will sync your photos just by default up to the, the cloud. And if you have enough Dropbox storage, you can have all your photos sync there. And the same is true with Google plus. So, and, you know, that's the thing that makes me scratch my head. Like Apple, just open the door. You're, you're first in line. And I was putzing well, with BitTorrent sync yesterday and BitTorrent sync has a new feature now for your photos to serious too. Yes. So oh, and now, you don't have to buy storage for no, that. You don't, you can, if you put that on your, transporter or your drobo or something like that there you are you're unlimited now you have to you like anything you have to be connected yeah but um, yeah but yeah really yeah i was messing with that yesterday yeah. it kept asking me if i wanted to add photos and i'm like yeah no i'm not trying to do that right now i'm, I'm, I'm trying to solve another problem we no, but, but as we started talking about this it occurred to me that uh, i saw that yesterday yeah it, so it was I, in the ios app but it was asking sure. do you want to do your photos of course and, I and do. And for those that don't know that uh, that I just found out yesterday, BitTorrent Sync has an iOS. App. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah, they've got Android apps and iOS yeah, apps. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, BitTorrent sync's an interest. I, I'm like I said, I kind of had my epiphany with it a couple weeks yeah, ago. It's so. free, free money. <laughs> it's free money. Yeah, it's good. I was surprised when I recently got the iPad. I was like, "Am I going to see my photos in iPhoto on the iPad?" And I did mm-hmm. because it, it it subscribed through Dot Mac, you know, or iCloud, sure, my iCloud stream. And I was like, "Okay, that because uh, I, I wasn't quite sure." <laughs> Which is the way I am with. How, how do we know? Kind of like you, Dave. It's like you know, is this going to participate as a good citizen in the iCloud universe? And, right. and it did. Oh sure. I, I feel bad that I was kind of surprised that it did because initially I opened up iPhoto on the iPad and there was nothing there, and I'm like, oh great. Yeah. You know, what did I do wrong now? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to make this the uh, the the rant against Apple for their minor indiscretion show. <laughs> However, yeah. okay. Um, however, you will. <laughs> however, I, evidently I will. Here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I, the one thing is, and it, it's sort of a, a big thing, but I, I will highlight one uh, example of this. iOS seven, especially so compared to iOS six, and and I know you didn't have iOS six on an iPad, John, but iOS seven feels very much like an operating system we designed for the iPhone and oh yeah, we're going to give it to you folks on the iPad too. And, and the, the, the one thing that drives me crazy, but it only drives me crazy when I travel or when I'm sort of in that mode of, I want my iPad with me all the time is I turn up. I have like you, John, I have the T-Mobile iPad, right? So I can use T-Mobile data if I want, but I turn off cellular data. I go into settings and I turn off cellular data uh, for two reasons. Number one, I don't want it to accidentally use my very limited amount. And number two, I don't want to burn my battery at a faster rate. Uh, and, and that happens when you have the cellular chip on. So I turn it off and except for when I want it on. And, you know, they added the uh, control center to iOS seven. But the one thing that's missing from there is the ability to toggle cellular data. Now, on your phone, that's not something you're going to do all the time. But on your iPad, it's something absolutely you do constantly. You so, know, I didn't realize I have that same pet peeve, and I didn't even realize. It. Oh, yeah. oh, I gotta go to now settings. You're saying you, you want this ability because the the be- data cap, monthly data cap for the free plan is relatively low. Is that why Wait, you're? No, I want it because I want to be able, because on the iPad, the use case is that we turn this on and off all the time. It, it I, I don't need my my cellular data on oh. all the time. And right. so I turn it off to say mostly to save my battery, but yes, also to save that sort of accidental uh, okay. cellular usage. Yeah. And, I, and like, I haven't run into that use case. What I do use though, which could be why I don't yet have this use case is that I run data man. Yeah. But the battery program. wise, battery wise, it, it, it is, you do run into oh. this problem. Right. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I have. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, it, it's, yeah, there's just, when I'm at home, there's no reason to have the cellular circuit on because it's just yet another radio that doesn't need to be yeah, there. Right. But like you, I'm sure you have Wi-Fi on, so it doesn't matter, which no. I do also. I mean, but, oh. it, but both radios are on. Right. So if you have I have Wi-Fi, I'm not talking about using it for data. But if your cellular data is turned on on your iPad, you will burn mm. your battery faster. Mm. And well, at times watch this if you if you want but I guarantee you overnight your data usage on your cellular plan will uh, will increase. 
while you're sleeping it'll, and doing nothing. It'll tick, tick. It'll check in on the network. Your Even I, though Wi-Fi is checked in. Yeah, yes. I, I've noticed that. Yeah, yes. it's like yeah. point, you know, uh, again, I use data, man. So I'll see it increase by yeah. it's minimal. less than a megabyte. Yeah, yeah but it, it's definitely communicating at some level, though yeah. not enough to concern me that I'm going right. to blow my cap. No, no, you're not going to. That's why I said it's not it's so much about the cap as it but is. Now you're saying because I think I see what you're saying. What yeah. you're saying is that it's it, it the radio is on. Yeah. Maybe not full blast, but it's on. So you're consuming power because you still are communicating using. And it's even power. worse if you're somewhere where Got you're at, at, a, at, at a signal edge. Right where the the device is constantly trying to recapture a signal, that's when you kill your battery big okay. time. I guess I had noticed also because the iPad compared to my iPhone <laughs> and even my computer yeah. has. Uh, I don't know if I've seen it go eight. To, I think eight to ten hours. I've I've yeah, that's about right. You know, gone at a stretch before yeah. I have to think about charging it. Yeah, but yeah. like you know, just like I turn off Bluetooth on my iPad when I'm not using it. Um, Oh, good point. I, you I know, I would like to turn off the whole eye beacon thing. Well, and it's nice to be able to turn it off without actually leaving the app you're in. My my right. use case is I'm sitting at the gate. I may have called up radar and now I'm back and I've got my taxi chart up and, oh, it's time to push. I want to turn off my cellular data. I don't want to back out of my Jepson navigation app to turn off cellular because, and I don't want to go to airplane mode because I want to leave my GPS on right. so that I get the moving map. So I'd like to be able to just flick it up, flick off cellular data, flick it out, and not even be leaving my app. And that's and it. There's no reason they can't put that little toggle in. No, there. they could. It, that, and that's why I said it's it's just a, a yeah. yeah, it's just a thing. That's it. Right. We want more. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Gosh, come on. All right. Always leaving wanting more. So uh, we had a geek challenge a couple shows ago, and I liked Louie's answer so much that uh, not only ha- did I want to share it, but... Without even thinking about it, I implemented it on on the iMac at home. The Geek Challenge was for a listener who wanted to have uh, fast user switching be enforced so that when his wife sat down at the computer, uh, she would be forced to log into her account without logging him out uh, so that she would use her email and, and on you know her bookmarks and her browsing history and all of that stuff. And uh, and Louie heard that and said, oh, it's built in. You just got to think a little differently. He says, uh, 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 he says, if you set the computer to go to screensaver or sleep after a certain time, you can force the computer to request the account password to get out of the screensaver or sleep. This is done in the security and privacy preference pane inside system preferences. If there is more than one user set up. You get the little icon to switch users right there at the bottom of the screen. It doesn't show other users if no other user is set up. So it, it is. You just check the box that says require your password five minutes after sleep or screensaver begins. And that's that. And you can have it required immediately, too. So uh, so that that and I did that at the house and it's been great because I have the iMac at the house, which I actually had kind of stopped using uh, once I got my air. But um but I, I sort of got my fingers back into that this weekend and, and having turning that on was like, great. Now the kids aren't going to accidentally use my account. If I left it logged in, they're going to use their own accounts and, and we're all clear. So, uh, so thanks Louie. That was, so it offers stuff. you the account to choose and then you put your own password. Is that yeah, how it works? Well, actually what it does is it asks you for the password of the, the user that was logged in when it went to sleep. Okay. But at the bottom of the screen is the checkbox switch that, user. that switches user. That's Beautiful. it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I didn't even have to tell the kids about it. I mean, my kids are fairly computer literate if they're extremely computer literate, yeah. let's, let's face it. But, you know, they, I watched my daughter and she's like, is this computer okay to use? I said, yeah. 
And she sat down and, and it asked for my password and she clicked the little box and logged in as her and we set that up so that the kids aren't messing up mom's account. Anymore. Yeah, exactly. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. And then Curtis from, uh, from show 494 had a little follow up, and, uh, it was about unmounting volumes and he found an unmount volumes preference pane, which, uh, which is the, uh, well, he finds it easier because it's just a separate pref pane and, uh, and it's totally future proofed. It works with everything. Uh, he's used it since OS 10 lion and the same preference pane just bounces forward with him. Uh, no problems at all. So, uh, so we'll put a link to this, this, uh, this preference pane at red cliff technology, but I believe it's uh 10 bucks. So there you go. That's, uh, that's the way it works. That's the way it works. I like it. All right. Um, you know, John, you can hear me. Okay. Right. Shows recording. Okay. As far as we know, in fact, if our listeners are hearing this, it is right. You push the as button. far as I know, everything is operating according to plan. So, uh, I, I am, I am t- taunting the, the computer gods right now because, uh, I've been complaining for a while that this computer needed an SSD. And even worse is that I've had a 256 gig SSD sitting downstairs on my desk, completely unused. And uh, so earlier this week, I thought, fine, it's time. So I cloned the hard drive in the studio iMac here to an SSD over USB. And that's how I'm running currently. I, I figured I would test it for a week through the show, make sure everything worked okay. And then I bought one of those newer tech uh, drive adapters to, to turn it into a three and a half inch size. So I have to put it inside the iMac. Now I've never taken apart an iMac before, John, um, I, but I have the suction cups. So, so my son and I uh, have plans to do that some afternoon this week. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, I definitely would recommend two people. I did it with yep. our, our pal Duffy. Yeah. Um, the other caution here, uh, just to throw this in, since we're talking about iMacs and putting them back together. Yes. We did have an email that I do recall. I think you answered it, Dave, but, I think we're going to talk about answering it. I don't know if it's a question, but if it's not, you know what I'm talking about. Be careful when you put the screen of an iMac back in so you don't get the OCD dust syndrome. Yes. Yeah. There's a great video. If you're not very careful when you put it back together, I mean, the thing is, as soon as you take that screen out, you break the seal and it's possible for you to get schmutz or gunk or whatever you want to call on the screen. And then it's going to drive you insane when you put it back. So I mean, I would say as soon as you pull it off, immediately put it on like a felt cloth or, or I mean, I don't even I know that that matters. That. I think, I think what you need to do, well, just put it on down, put it down on something where there's not something that's going to mess up the screen. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think what that is, whether it be a, well, I think you just need to wipe know, it before you close it back up. You wipe the screen and the inside of the glass is what the, but you see, my thought is you put it on something that is not tainted in any way and just leave it there until you have to put it back. And, yeah, you still could get that errant piece of dust. Yeah, yeah. I'm so more about, you know, and also like fingerprint smudges, I think will probably be the worst. Just but, like, oh, that drive me nuts. But after I had it on the SSD for a day, and and it's, I mean, mm-hmm. it's night. It literally is night and day. It, it, you know, there's no comparison. When I got up here to the studio, normally what I have to do went previously on the spindle drive, I would have to log two? into this computer thirty minutes ahead of time over my iPad mm-hmm. and launch the uh the apps that i would need email is probably the worst one um but but skype takes a while to launch uh on this machine it just all the apps that i need to record the show and if i didn't get those launching 
you know, 20 minutes before I needed to be up here, we would wait 10 minutes for all that stuff to happen. I got up here four minutes before uh, you and I synced up and I launched all the apps and I was good to go. No problem. Now, the other thing, John, is I figured, well, now that I've got a clone of this thing, I might ought to want to upgrade to Mavericks. So I did. And this machine is now running Mavericks with the new audio drivers. So not only are we doing the hard drive over USB, but audio is over USB no. as well. Wow. Now, did you get a USB 3 case? No. No, my iMac's not USB okay. 3. It's just USB 2. Yeah. Okay. No, just, just wondering. All right. Yeah. So, uh, and the performance on USB 2, which is 480 megabits per second. Maybe yeah, it's not, the bottleneck, but... but there's no, you, it's not about the speed. It's about latency. Right. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, USB 2 is not holding you back, which is good. Yeah, no, it, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure it, if I was trying to like pump lots of data back and forth, it would it would matter, but it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it's, but for day to day, yeah, or even podcasting, yeah, I would say make some demands on the system. Some, yeah, yeah, but it's really nice, and I haven't had any of those weird hiccups that I have when I move to the browser or whatever because of the drive delays and all of that. It's just been flawless. So. Uh, so far, now I should be knocking on wood here. <laughs> hey, go. that hurt. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Dave, I got something new. Go. I'm going to go, and it's going to be real quick here. So um, when we went out to Macworld, um, uh, one of our good friends, Mary, um, gave me a, a equipment contribution, which okay. is very nice. Thank you, Mary. Yeah. So basically, I now have a Airport Extreme uh, fourth generation 802.11n. Not the AC, right? But the, the, the one prior to that, right? Uh, it's two prior. Um, okay. This is a fourth generation. Okay. Then they came out with the fifth generation, and I'm still trying to figure out exactly what the difference is. But the thing is, so this one, again, Airport Extreme 802.11n, fourth generation, is dual radio. And it has both a 2.4 gig and a 5 gig yep. 802n radio. Dude, what a difference. I so, can I can uh, imagine. I think before, well, I think before we concluded that the the time machine, which is now... Uh, as we speak, being recycled because I basically pulled the drive out of it, put it in my Drobo and put it in the recy- electronics recycling box. And it is now somewhere being torn apart. <laughs> OK, yeah. OK. I got rid of it because it was just night and day. So sure. before when I did my benchmarks, if you notice that if I was at a distance, even at five gigahertz. So number one, the performance was between 10 and 40 megabits per second. Abysmal. Uh, yeah, terrible. And then the airport uh, express, you know, did a little better. But then this thing, Dave. So I was at, you know, pretty much a similar location on five. Gig- so number one, the MacBook Pro almost always, which is my machine that I use on wireless most for the most part, um, always picks five gigahertz now. Oh, which is nice. right. Yeah. In addition to all the other equipment in the house. So like my 802.11 N adapter on my TiVo, all of a sudden I'm like, wait a second. Why is the LED blue instead of green uh, on that device? It means, oh, I've chosen five gigs before it chose 2.4 uh. because I think. Because it was again, just a the, weak the characteristics signal. of yeah. the time capsule. Yeah. Um, so now I benchmark using iPerf uh, on five gigahertz at a relative, you know, relatively far. I'll call it far in my tests. Sure. Uh, but I, I'm getting 90 to 100 megabits per second um, using the Mac. Okay. 90 yeah. to 100 versus what I was getting before, which was like 40. So it's picking five and it's doing awesome. And then I also took, so Dave, we, we, you know, talked about this device here. Then it got even better. So I have this bare extender turbo and I'm like, you know what? So bare extender turbo is a USB three to 802.11 AC device, but it can also do 802.11 N. Sure. And it has two antennas. And I'm like, you know what? Just for kicks, let me hook that up with that, Dave, from the same location. 
I was getting 130 to 140 megabits per second on my local network. Interesting. Well, the thing is, it's a powered and I think amplified, you know, transmitted receiver. So even on, even though it's not even doing AC, sure. it's still doing better than the antennas built into the. Uh, so I'm just saying, kudos to both Apple for making a better. Well, is it because the Bear Extender Turbo has a? It's got a. Um, it's got it's three by three, right? It, it's got three antennas in it, whereas your Mac only has one or two. When when I ran their software, it said. I've chosen 300 megabits per second, which to me is two, two. right? By That's two. right. Yep. So we're saying, okay, this is the maximum I'm going to communicate at. And it gave me, you know, certainly a subset of that. I wasn't expecting. Oh, because, because your airport is only two by two. I thought, it, you know, I looked in Mac. Oh, no, 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 no. It was three. No, so it's, it's three two. by three. You're right. I'm looking at, at the uh, Wikipedia chart. Now, it could be that the bear extender, for whatever reason, is two by two. I thought it was oh, three by three. They're saying it's three by three. In detail. Yeah, but you, it might okay, be a distance, reason, it it might be a distance thing. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this was all... done at a, at a distance, but... Yeah. So again, two things. Thank goodness I now have a decent base station, and I can see the glory of 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, now do you want to know that um, the uh, fifth generation model... Almost the between that and the four. It almost doubles the performance in really? uh, in people's tests. <laughs> yeah. How do they do that? Huh. I don't know. Uh, it's more output power, I think, in uh, in terms of milliwatts. Yeah. Well, I'm still compared to where I was. Sure. I'm definitely happier. Absolutely. Oh, so. of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. I'm ready for it, AC if and when it comes. Thanks to the bear extender guys. But you don't have a router that'll do AC. Not at this point, no. So it so it's funny. I have routers that will do AC. In fact, all three of them in the home will do, and the office will do AC. But I don't have a single uh, client. So I, you should have given me your bear extender thing to test. There you go. I think they they probably hook you up too. I, that's probably true, actually. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> I, I, I should ask him. Yeah, because that'd be cool to test. Make great products. Yeah. We gave him a, uh, a uh, thanks to you, I'm, I'm sure, we gave him a uh, um, Editor's Choice Award at Macworld last week. So kudos well, to them. Agreed. It's cool. And then, I, yeah, the extender, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I got I to gotta get one of those from him and test it here. That, that, that's crazy. You, that uh, that'll be your turn then, because you, yeah. you, have, you definitely have range issues compared to me. I mean, I'm in a, you know. Well, small, sort of. I mean, I, that's why I have three here. routers set up. So right. I've, I've mitigated range issues, <laughs> but, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about uh, our second sponsor for the show, John, which is I fix it. They are, uh, they are new to this show in, at least in, in terms of being sponsors. They, uh, they're certainly not new to the show in terms oh, of no. being mentioned. We've, we've mentioned them uh, many, many times. Uh, so I fix it is the place to go. They, well, first of all, if you need like like when I am going to go do this iMac repair, right? That's not a repair. This enhancement where I take this SSD mm -hmm. and I put it in to uh, to my iMac. I need to buy that that newer tech adapter to make the SSD larger so that it fits in the same slot uh, that my hard drive did. Uh -huh. But that's a fifteen dollar part. And I already have it. It arrived yesterday. Um, but uh but I need to know how to do this, right? It's it's that's that's sort of the hard part. The fifteen it's, it's bucks not is obvious easy. on how to open your iMac, Dave. Dude, you have to use suction cups, <laughs> literally suction cups, to pull the screen off, right? I mean, like we talked about, it's so beautifully built 
until the point you're at where you're like, how do I open? How it? do I get in? <laughs> and and that's what I fix. It's great for is you go there and they have these step by step guides. Now, what I do is I print them out. And and then I take the screws from each step and tape them to the instructions on that step. So there is no question that I am doing the right thing. And like I said, I'm going to have my son help me. And uh, and we've done many things and we always use iFixit's instructions. And so we have a system and we just tape them down. And that way we know we have the right screws in the right spot and it works great. Uh, and then we just go backwards through the steps to uh, put it back together. Now, you may think, well, that's great, but how do I get the screws out? Well, that's what I fix. It's there for too. They sell 70 different tools to assist you with any modification, malfunction, enhancement, or misfortune that might come your way. Not just with your iMac, but with your laptop and your iPhone and your iPad. They've got all the tools to get these things apart. I know these guys personally, they have a singular focus there. And as soon as they touch a new device, it is, I want to get inside this thing. And so they, they, uh, I'm, I'm sure now they're, they're better at it even with new devices. I'm sure when they started, they just wrecked these things, <laughs> but, but, but that's okay. They wreck them. So you don't have to. And then not only do they give you the instructions, but they sell you exactly the right tools. And yes, that's opportunistic. And it's exactly what they should be doing because they know what they're doing. And so when they sell you a tool and they say, this is what we use to get inside that device, it's because it's what they use to get inside that device. And a lot of these things, they go nuts. They spec their own tools out so that uh, they're exactly what you need for that particular thing. It's not like you're running down to the hardware store and just getting any old, you know, uh, putty knife to use as a spreader to get your your iPhone or iPad screen off. You're using one that these guys have specced out because they know it works with that device. And the same is true of all their stuff. They've got a 54 bit driver kit uh, with with 54 different drivers. They've got Phillips bits, large and small, uh, Pentalo bits for the iPhones and Mac laptops. Oh, all the I was going to say, Dave, they were one of the first to come to the rescue when Apple pulled the Pentalo trick. Yeah. yeah, I was like, and, thank you guys. And, for you know, it's a tool to solve this problem. Even the Phillips bits. Right. You know, you can we all have Phillips screwdrivers in our home and we're all tempted when we're going and taking apart our laptop to just use whatever Phillips screwdriver we can find to open it up. And those will if you use the wrong size, you, you greatly increase your chances of stripping those screws. With these guys. Not only you're following their instructions, but if you use their 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 tools, you can use exactly what they've told you and what Apple uses to get in and out of these things. So I, I really encourage you to check them out. Ifixit.com slash MGG gets you all the free repair guides you'll ever need. And then when you find that perfect part or tool, make sure you use coupon code MGG at checkout. It gets you 10 bucks off your order of $50 or more. So that's Ifixit.com slash mgg and make sure you use coupon code mgg at checkout to save yourself 10 bucks so i gotta add something cool about their guides go i I got to yeah Um, they allow you to make comments as you go through if you you know i've replaced an iphone 4 screen and i'll make comments and some of the best parts of their guides are user inputs hey if you do this it will also work this may save you some time so they're throughout their guides it's not only them but there's other users who have had successes or failures hey don't do this or you're going to buy a new laptop screen Mm -hmm. that sort of thing 
So their their guides are fabulous. They're f- um, it's great and and all user sourced. Right. So check them out. Ifixit.com slash mgg. All right, John. We've got some time left. <laughs> Maybe we should answer some questions today. Think so? I I do. So uh, so we'll we'll answer Brian's question because uh, because it's sort of timely. He says uh, I have a Mac Pro. Uh, oh wait wait wait. This is your question to answer, John. Look at what I'm doing. I'm just plowing well, ahead. Want to read? I'll sure. read it. I'll read it. You can answer. I have a Mac Pro 2008, uh, eight gig, two t- two X quad core, yada yada yada. He says, and I am looking. He actually wrote yada yada yada. Uh, and I am looking at doing a fresh install of Mavericks on a new hard drive that I have in one of my drive bays. What's the best method of doing this? I see a ton of ways to do it on a single drive machine, but was wondering if there's an easy way to do it when there are multiple drive bays available. John. Uh, two things, Dave. So I think the, the, the first thing is that when you do download Mavericks by default, it's going to be, it's going to want to install itself on the machine that you downloaded it to. That's right. Which is obviously not what he wants. So how do you get around this? Well, I suppose you could purchase. Um, I don't even know if you. I don't know that do you, you can. Know if you can do this anymore. No. Can you still purchase a Mavericks installer on physical media? I don't think you can. Uh, no, no, do I don't know? think so. No. So what do you do in this case? It, it, it's mind-boggling. What do you do? Well, what you do is you go to, <laughs> you make yourself a bootable version of the Mavericks installer. How do you do this? You get Disk Maker. 10 it's say, yeah it's an x, x. But yes <laughs> do you think it's x i don't know it's always 10 not os x i I, yeah. uh, I i get cranky about that I think no. you have to say both um <laughs> <laughs> so and that's at liondiscmaker.com so this is something that will take so once you download so so if you go to the app store you download mavericks don't run the installer well it'll run there, automatically right but you can just cancel out of it yeah well, I just want to say, yeah, don't, don't run the installer because the problem is if you run the installer, then it erases itself. What you want to do is once you download it, then you want to run this line disk maker. And then yep. lo and behold, you will have either, I guess uh, it can do it either on USB media or uh, physical media like yep. a CD or DVD. Then you will have a Mavericks installer. The only th- other thing I don't I think it'll work on make- CD just just so people know. I think it needs more space really? than a CD. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, CD. Yeah. No. Yep. So, uh, yeah. Well, I yep. think I said DVD. You said CD or DVD. Though you mean. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, yeah, the the installer is definitely bigger than 470 or 650. Yeah, right. 650 is yeah, the limit, yeah. right? Yeah. Number two. I don't even know that it'll well, fit on DVD, to be honest. I know uh, I had that problem. I fit some of the earlier ones, but sometimes you need a dual layer, which is yeah, exactly. Point whatever gigs. That, that's right. That's right. It's annoying yeah. because it just, just get Just get yourself an like, eight gig um, USB stick and do it that way. It's the easiest way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. And then the other thing is, if you're going to install on a drive where there are multiple drive bays, all I'd say is, as far as I know, Dave, the OS will still let you give multiple drives the same name. Yeah. Like you could have two drives called Macintosh HD, which is the sure. default. All I would say in that case is just, you know, kind of make them a little different. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> there always is the potential. I mean, normally the installer just says, okay, well, here's you know, Macintosh HD. And here's another one called Macintosh HD. It may differentiate or it will definitely by the type of connection and that it may have a firewire or USB or whatever. Sure. But yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to p- play Russian roulette with guessing which of those 
is the right drive. So yeah, before you undertake this procedure, make sure that you name them in a sensible manner. You know, I was, I was kind of a dum dumb when I updated this machine to Mavericks. Um, I just let it do it from the app store. It down, even though I have a USB stick downstairs, uh, I didn't even think about it until right now. Like, Oh, I, I could have saved myself the bandwidth, but since Comcast doesn't limit me at the moment, uh, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Every uh, I have installers day for probably the last three versions of OS 10, just because just in case. Oh yeah. I, I store them like on my boxes. <laughs> it's like those boxes that we all have in the attic. Oh I dude. need it just in case. I know. I love those boxes. <laughs> <laughs> now you have a wife that can yell at you about that. I don't. So that's right. Well, this is a reason that I have a separate building with my office. <laughs> you might move in 20 years. You'll need those boxes. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, when I do those, I keep some of those boxes with the the piles of iPhone cases. And so uh, when mm -hmm. when the validity of the when the wisdom of, of keeping these boxes is called into question, I just pull out the box of iPhone and iPad cases and say, is it time to upgrade, dear? And then uh, and then we're good to go. So it, it deals with that problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Repeat. Comes um, over keep your cases, Dave. Exactly. <laughs> Kiwi Graham does have a good point. You may at points, and actually I've done this in the past. Uh, you, there is a case for re-downloading an OS installer in that you may get a point release uh, yes, increase. That's right. Now, uh, and I think I, I have, have that. So I think I have Lion 10, you know, whatever dot yeah. one or dot two, and then for other OSs. So that's a good point. That's a case. Though, though again, as you said, Dave, I mean, you, if you have a data cap, you don't want to be doing these multi-gig downloads all the time. Now, I haven't tested this with Mavericks yet, uh, but I believe it to still be true. It certainly was true with Lion when we first started getting stuff from the Mac App Store and installers that way. Um, if you have the installer on your hard drive and you do the update to Mavericks, it updates the installer too. Or, or it did the update to, to Lion. It also updated, I would extract that, you know, install.esd disk image or whatever it were, install esd.dmg file and save it not on my hard drive, but on my network drive. And if that network drive was mounted, that install esd disk image would get updated when I did my, uh, my OS updates. Scared the heck out of me that it went and found it like in a subfolder out there. So, mm -hmm. uh, you're NSA working for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like, whoa. So it's watching. Yeah. So it, it can, it, you can keep that stuff up to date, which is why I keep them on my network drive. Cause I figure, well, I'm just going to embrace this. It's just how it's going to be. So, all right. Scott writes, uh, gents, there are many methods and apps that can show how much space various files are taking up on a hard drive. That's helpful. But what I really want to know is what a hard drive is currently doing or has done. There are many times when I'll hear the drive working, but cannot determine what activity is taking place. In the process of analyzing this, I've closed all applications, suspended things like Dropbox and syncing processes, and yet the drive is still working. It's a mystery. Certainly, it could be attributable to a lot of different things, but there doesn't seem to be a simple way to see what a list of what files the drive has been reading and writing. I've checked the console in the Mac app store and nothing obvious pops up there either. Do you know of any way or any app that would simply show me a list of activity along the lines of at such and such a time file name XYZ was written to the drive. 
I'm not sure I can't. I'm sure, in fact, he says, I can't be the only one that would like to know this. Something must exist somewhere that would facilitate this, but I can't find it. Okay. Uh, so let's, let's pass this one around. You know, the, the activity monitor will show you some of this data. If you go to the disk tab of Maverick's activity monitor, uh, it shows you what apps have written data uh, and how much they've read and how much they've written, but it directly doesn't show you what files they are currently writing. However, you can dig a little deeper and if you double click on an app in Mavericks um, in the activity monitor, and this is true of other uh, of previous activity monitors too, you see a detail on the app and uh, there's three tabs, memory statistics and open files and ports. If you go to open files and ports and scroll down to the bottom, I can see, for example, that uh, on this computer in my home folder, uh, in a folder that I have labeled test, which is really a bad name for it, since it is the folder that the podcast file is actively saved to. Uh, I can see that Audio Hijack Pro is writing a file called uh, MGG Direct 2014 And that is uh, exactly as I have told it to do to save this file. And if you're hearing this, then it means that that has worked and me mucking about with it didn't mess anything up. Um so that's one way of seeing it, but it's not giving you your list. iStat menus also has a disk usage um, tab and you can see the activity on any given disk, which is interesting. But again, it's not showing you the exact files. So, uh, John, any thoughts from you? So you, what you're telling me is you'd like to see the files that are being written to. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You know what? I think there's a Unix command that can do that. And I think it's called LSOF. I'm going to guess LS is like the Unix LS command, which lists thing. And I'm going to guess OF stands for open files. I, uh, so I'll, I'll buy that. Yeah. So it's a place to start. Oh, absolutely. If you type LSOF in the terminal. Now, the problem is, well, number one, if you run in the terminal, you're running it in the terminal. Duh. I mean, it's going to be all text and sure. kind of meaningless. Wouldn't it be great if somebody wrote a utility that would let you parse that data and maybe offer it in a GUI, Dave? Yes. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> well, our buddy Sveinbjorn Thor Darson, I think I got that right. I think you did. A utility called, I think I got that right. But LSOFs is not bad because it shows you the name of the application and what files oh, it absolutely. currently absolutely. has open. That's right. Yeah. But here's my tip is that if you run this utility called Sloth, well, then you get a GUI on top of it. Uh-oh. Hang on, John. Searches. Hang on, John. I don't know what I did. Okay, we're back. The recording's going here. That was interesting. Yeah. So evidently running LSOF. Uh, <laughs> well, it, you I know. So. I, While recording a podcast is not recommended. I typed it, John, <laughs> and it, it paused, and I thought, nope, I'm not going to do it. And so I hit Control-C and stopped it. But uh, uh-huh. But it was clearly too late. Uh, and uh, and things, right. well, things went south off. from there. Well, I think you caught this part, but there is a GUI version of this. So yeah, I think you should have sat on your hands and maybe tried to run the GUI version of this. Well, but. maybe not, because it probably still <laughs> runs LSOF. But really, uh, okay, I would imagine. But yeah. there is a utility by Svenborn. Th- uh, you can read it. Anyways, we'll, we'll put the link in our notes here. But it's called Sloth. 
Maybe because LSOF is such a sloth. <laughs> well, yeah. Or it's, uh, I, I mean, I saw it as a, uh, a nice little juxtaposition of the letters of uh, LSOF, right? Uh, LSOF. Right. You, you take it back, twist it well, around. Except there's no F in there. but Yeah, yeah but it's, you know, you call it sloth or you call it sloth. I like it. Or loth. Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. We'll put a link Got in the show one. notes for that. Yeah. That's fun. All right. Uh, all right. So now I got to get my agenda back up here, John. We, we everything got all, uh, all crazed. Compobulated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's, uh, let's jump around a little bit here. I like that one. That was good. That was good. Uh, yeah. So this, actually, this is a, this is a good one. So Adam wrote, uh, and Adam had a very interesting question. He says, uh, I have two Apple TV units, a Gen 1 and a Gen 2. I also have a YouTube account attached to a Gmail address. Uh, he says, which I have enabled two-factor authentication on. He says, I had to do a factory restore of the Gen 1 Apple TV. And afterwards, I was unable to log into the YouTube account. It would not accept my password. I then did a silly thing. I changed the password for that account on Google. This, of course, broke my login on the Gen 2 Apple TV, and now neither of them will log into YouTube. How can I regain access to my account on these Apple TVs? I want to keep two-factor authentication. I'd like to protect all the Google services I have attached. Uh, I'm tired of manually searching for my favorite channels, and these units are not capable of accepting a video airplay from my iPad or iPhone. What to do? So two-factor authentication, the way this works is, for those of you that don't use it, Google has it. Apple has it. And uh, essentially what what you do is once you enable this, you have to enter your password. That's one factor. And then uh, it asks you for when you when you're logging into Google, it's going to ask you for something else. With Google, it's typically a code that's generated by the iOS app or the Android app uh, called Google Authenticator. And you sync all this up when you enable two factor authentication. And it works really well. Uh, and that way it keeps people uh, from guessing or hacking your password and then being able to get into your account. It's a great idea and, and really enhances security. However, in order for this to work, all the places where you log in have to now support this second factor of authentication on the web. That's easy because Google controls the whole widget. Uh, but like, for example, with BusyCal, they had to update BusyCal. They did. They did it very, very quickly. Uh, so that you're presented with this web view that allows you to do this, this second factor, the software on your Apple TVs do not allow this. The software that you use for your email does not allow this, uh, on your, on iOS or, you know, the, the built-in mail app on iOS or the built-in mail app on, uh, on OS 10. So there needs to be a way to get around this. And what you do is you go in and you generate what Google in this case calls application specific passwords. And you go in and you say, I need a password for my Apple TV. And, and I'll, we'll put a link in the show notes that, that details the path, but you go into Google and you click account and you go to security, you go to two factor and you say application specific passwords, you generate a new password. And then that password displays on the screen. You type it in and that's it. Uh, it, you, you know, it, it, it disappears off the screen after you, you've done it from your web browser and, and that's it, but it works the old way. 
and it is a password that is good for your account. So it does open up a slight security hole because if someone hacks that password and it's a big, long string that hopefully someone couldn't hack, but, uh, but it does open up that hole, but that's the way that you're going to make this work. And we'll put a link in the show notes that explains, uh, the path to, uh, the specific path to get there. But, um, but that's what you need to do is the application specific password. And it, it is the, uh, it is the way to do it. So that's how this works. Um, do you do two factor authentication, John? No, really? No. Why not? There. I just did two factor. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> no. Uh, Cause it's too complicated to set up. It's really not that bad. I do it. And I, and I'm less security conscious than you are. I would think. I'm security conscious. I, that's I what I'm saying. Into two factor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's inconvenient. See, I'm on I, the go, man. I, I can't take this extra time to authenticate another factor. What? Yeah. You don't see this. I get it. I, I'm with <laughs> you. Yes. Yes. I, I, I use those as specific passwords and they say, don't worry about remembering them, but it's a pain in the butt to go back and get it again. Mm-hmm. So I take that. It gives you that long key, and I take it and I actually put it in my one password in the notes section. I do too. So I can go back. I do too. And go. What did I get for mail? What did I have for? What's cool is you can expire individual app specific passwords. So if you look, it, like I go in every now and then when I have to create a new one, I look at my old ones, and if I see one that I haven't used in a while, yeah. I expire it. Like if it's not, if it hasn't been logged in in the last week, it, it it's then it's it's I'm not using it. So, yeah. It's good. All right, John, you want to tell tell us about John? Oh, no. Really? All right, then let's skip John. No, we can do John. I just have to uh, All right. bring John before me. No, would this be John as in John that wants to know about what does John want to know about? I want to make sure I got the right John. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll read oh, John's question. Of yes, I John, see his question. John says, as mentioned in your last episode, Pulling down on the notification shade. Uh, where are we here? Yeah. Uh, should show you how long. And oh, 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 I see. OK, so putting it in context. 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 Yeah. So uh, he says uh, you mentioned in your last episode that pulling down on the notification shade in iOS would show you how long it would take you to drive home. He said, I looked and mine doesn't no matter where I am. Any ideas as to why? Absolutely. You have to go to multiple places, Dave, and I had to do a bit of digging for this. So the first place you want to go to is settings, privacy, location services, system services, we're almost there, (laughs) frequent locations on. In that list of frequent locations, you will see one that's marked as home. That gives you a warm fuzzy that you know the home thing is working. If you don't see something marked as home, then where you want to go to is settings, Mail, contacts, calendars, my info. Within that screen, you're going to see one item that is identified as your home address. Or you will see a contact identified, and then within that contact, make sure that your home address is listed and your work address. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yep. And then the third one is settings, privacy, location services, system services, traffic on. I like it. And I think and that's it. And then I think actually there's another one. If you go into the maps preferences, I think you can decide whether you want it to show you distances in driving or walking. Because especially in a city, 
You may not be driving. You're going to be walking from point A to point B. Sure. Sure. I believe those are all the touch points. If anybody knows of any extras, because it is kind of obscure. Yeah. That you're either going to see this stuff or you won't. And it doesn't give you any guidance. Uh, I have not found an article from Apple that gives you guidance on how to enable this feature. It just kind of is a pleasant surprise, but it's unpleasant in the fact that people don't know how. So are you saying that Apple doesn't have an article that gives you guidance on how to get guidance? I I believe that's my (laughs) guidance. Yes. That's your guidance. That's awesome. All right. Listener Dave has a, has a pesky issue with his Google account too. He says, uh, I'm mailing you about this crazy experience that is mail on the Mac with Gmail. Uh, no, don't worry, folks. We're not going to spend a half hour ranting about that too. He says, uh, the last couple of days, this is very specific. Last couple of days, I've noticed something strange happening as I compose an email It seems that mail is quietly taking a copy of the email about every 30 seconds and dumping it into my trash folder. So if I take five minutes typing an email before I send it, then I will have 10 incomplete copies of the email in my trash folder, timestamped at 30 second intervals. It's really weird. It's not happening with the same account on my iOS devices. So I guess it's something happening with Mac mail only says it's even happening right now as I type this message on my Mac. What's happening? Well, what's happening is mail and Gmail don't exactly play perfectly together. Uh, we've talked about this, and I promised we weren't going to go uh, too deep in, into a rant about that. But that that's sort of the crux of this. And what you when when mail when you are creating a message in mail, it creates a draft message. And then uh, you can save that draft so that you don't have to send it, but you can come back to it later on. You have a choice as to where mail saves that draft. It can save it locally, so it's only accessible from your Mac, or you can have it save it to the mail server. This is a standard IMAP function. But as we all know, Gmail doesn't really quite play by standard IMAP rules, hence the problem. So uh, what you and and the nice part about saving drafts to your IMAP, IMAP server is if you start composing on your Mac, uh, you could then comp- complete the composition from, say, your iPad or another Mac or your iPhone or whatever you want uh, or, or any machine. Right. It's it's a it's a standard, but it doesn't work quite well. As you're seeing it, there's this issue of it saving drafts constantly and deleting them and this whole thing. So uh, to solve this, you just need to tell mail to save drafts, not on Gmail, but to save them locally. And the way you do that is you go into mail go into preferences, go into accounts, go into mailbox behaviors and un and choose the account, uh, your Gmail account that's uh, that you're having this issue with and uncheck the box that says store draft messages on the server and then uh, close that window. It'll, it'll ask you if you want to save the changes and say yes, and then that will do it for you. So that's the issue. It's, uh, it's just one of those things. It's a feature that you can't use if you want to use Gmail and don't want to have a mess of uh, old drafts floating around. So that's all we got. That's, uh, that's how it works. That's, um, that's how we go. So that'll, that'll, uh, that'll teach me to, uh, to start mucking about with the, uh, I I said it earlier in the show. Mm -hmm. If, uh, if you're hearing this, it's because it worked. Well, we know that it didn't work. Kind of work. Yeah. Kind of work. Yeah. yeah. Partially makes it fun keeps it interesting and we like that but dave if you want to give us some work you know what you could do what can you do well not you but 
you as in the people listening, not yes, you personally. But right. what you could do is you could take your comments, concerns, questions, or anything else that you can document and put it in an email and send it to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's, uh, yeah, that's feedback at MacGeekGab.com, John. I don't know what is people. Uh, you're making me hungry. Oh, no. Feedback. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's right. That's right. And if you are a premium member, you can send us email to premium at MacGeekGab.com. And, uh, and we do prioritize the stuff in there, although we do try to get to everything. And uh, even after Macworld, I think we succeeded. We got to every question and, uh, and flushed out the boxes as of, uh, as of Friday morning, which is what we try to do. So... Uh, you can also call us at 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is 4335. That's yeah. right. You can find us on the web. MacGeekGab.com is where the show notes go. Uh, links to all of the various things that we do there. Links to find out about premium. Uh, all of that good stuff. And uh, But if you don't want the links, if you just want to go there directly on Twitter, you can find us at MacGeekGab is the show. John F. Braun is him. Pilot Pete is this guy. Mac Observer is where all the uh, headlines from TMO are posted. And, of course, I'm Dave Hamilton right there on Twitter. Where else can they find us, John? Oh, there's the Facebooks. Or the Facebook. Or a Facebook. Our Facebook site. MacGeekGap.com slash. Wait. Face- oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Facebook.com slash MacGeekGap. That a boy. One of the sites you can find us at. There's another one, Dave. I think this uh, G Plus thing. Yeah. Plus.google.com slash uh, the plus sign Mac Geekab podcast because they make it difficult and that's fun. But we do have that linked from the uh, MacGeekab.com page as well. So, And of course, MacGeekab.com slash stream is where we uh, where we broadcast the show as we're recording it. If you want to be a part of that in the chat room, it's always fun. Nice to have uh, some of you here. Makes things interesting. I do want to thank all of you for listening. I want to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast. He uh, he converts this show to AAC, adds all the chapters that we know you folks love. He uh, he was having a blast at Macworld Expo, uh, Macworld iWorld, I, I suppose we're supposed to call it, with people coming up, you folks coming up and saying, hey, man, thanks. Uh, so he, he really didn't believe me when I said, oh, no, 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 no. This is a valuable service, my friend. Uh, so thank you, Michael. It's great. Uh, also want to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Let's see, the podcast marketplace, all the uh, the folks that advertise here and uh, and love you as our listeners. That's uh, That includes barebones.com, smile at smilesoftware.com, gazelle at gazelle.com. Squarespace.com slash MGG being the, uh, the the link there. Rage Software, of course, with Everwell. And iFixit on board now at iFixit.com slash MGG. What else do we have going on here, John? Anything special happening? No. You've got suspicion yourself in the uh, chat room. And, and years and years, decades ago, he gave me some advice. Actually, it was advice he gave to, to a ski lift operator. But, really? uh, but this advice has, 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 le- has lasted with us for all these years. John, you want to share what that advice is? I think the advice is always don't get caught. 
made of.